This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in, boys and girls. It's Friday, August 11th here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Coffee Beans Betts. Gotta have it, man. You got. I can't imagine starting a day without coffee. Uh, it's just the best. So I am sipping a warm cup of joe on this fine Friday morning. I know that you just made yourself a little latte. Do you have a little like, espresso <laughs> machine over there? What's going on, Mr. Fancy Pants? Uh, fancy Pants, you can call me that. Yes, I did get my wife an espresso machine, which, not a sponsor, but I'm a fan. Could be a sponsor. It, it could be. And I, I don't think we've ever really shared. You know, we've shared a lot together. A lot of laughs, a lot of, a lot of love. We've never really talked about our coffee takes, and this is just my personality. I don't care what brand of coffee I have for my first cup in the morning. Don't care. It doesn't have to be super nice. I'm not going like Bob. I'm not Maxwell House, but like... <laughs> okay. I, hey, man. Hey. You might be big fans out there. Sponsor, not a sponsor. And <laughs> yeah, so that's my take is like a little bit of cream, my first one. That's it. Or just have it dark. Don't Don't really care. That's my preference, first cup, and then if I'm going to have a second cup later on in the day, I might I might make myself a latte. So I have several questions about this. You don't care what brand it is for your first cup, but you do care for the second cup later in the day? Is that right? That's right. That it's That's my preference. I want something later on in the day that feels like it's like a treat. Like, you know what I'm okay, saying? Like I it's, get it. It's I look forward to it as kind of like a little pick me up, and by a pick me up, it's nine thirty in the morning when we're recording. So, uh, yeah, well, my my coffee takes are, are very simple. I drink it black always, straight up. Um, I don't have a strong preference for the brand. However, I strongly feel your first cup in the morning needs to be a hot cup of coffee, even even in the middle of summer. I like, fully believe that. Now, second oh, cup for that later in the day. Like if you're talking like a little afternoon pick-me-up, all about the iced coffee. But you won't see me starting my day with an iced coffee. I'll just say that. If I could recommend, just give it a free recommendation out there, and I would kill for a sponsorship here. Counterculture Coffee is my preferred second cup if I'm going to brew it. It's a, it's a good feeling, man. 
So yeah, we'll hopefully... have to see if they're if they're taking any new sponsors on on Fantasy Football Podcast. I feel like that's exactly their, that's the their clientele. <laughs> it's funny because like I feel like the the people that they market are like energy drinks. Like yeah, it's like I don't I don't do that. I don't I don't I'm not a big fan. But hey, coffee takes is what we're gonna start this episode. And I've said this maybe two or three times this off season. But you can add this episode list of one of my favorite episodes to do. Leading up to the season, we talk about our DFS and betting goals for 2023 and just how to set that, how to set the process. I think that's the part that you and I bets excel. And I think people are attracted to finding their own process. And that's what I just want to make clear off the top. This is different for every single person, your season of life. Some people, they're just, you know, this this can be your life, DFS. You can play, you know, you have the time, you have the energy, whatever. It looks a little different now with kids, you know, and I'm, you know, putting kids on the bus, everything else. Like, Bets, your DFS days two or three years ago, you were before even before marriage, like you were just a DJ. Take me back. <laughs> Take me back to the days. <laughs> You're right, man. But that is a, a big component of like, yeah, you know, life's different. Uh, you get married if you have kids, if you have a, a weekend job, you know, whatever it is, like. Not everyone can be sitting there grinding news and Twitter blurbs at 11:15 a.m. on Sunday mornings or at noon when you know we get inactives and stuff like that. So, it, truthfully, it is um, a factor. But yes, my situation and my process, specifically this year, will probably look a lot different than last year. You know, my my girls are now uh, just over a year old, so they're up longer. We're, we're interacting. Man, it it's honestly it's so fun. Uh, it's fantastic. But like last year. They were still babies sleeping all the time. So it was like, okay, this isn't that different. But now it will be very, very different. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited for it. We'll talk about what a weekly process, a weekly schedule can look like. We'll have some articles coming out about that. But I think I think no matter who you are, if you want to excel in cash or GPPs or whatever you want to look at in DFS this year, you can actually create a schedule that works with your life. So some people are like, well, I'm not a pro. I can't give 20 hours a week. Well, Hey, what if people like Betts and I who do this full time get to do the research for you and then you can cram in what usually would take Betts and I like 10 to 15 hours of research. You could do it in an hour or you get it in two podcast forms and we give you, you know, what we think is the best on a Tuesday and a Friday. So there's so many different ways that can fit with the schedule. So we'll talk about that. If you want to follow us, you can follow Betts at the fantasy PT. I'm at Kyle underscore Borg. And the best way to talk to us is in our discord channel. If you want to be part of that for DFS, betting props, all of that, uh, you can get that. If you have the DFS pass, part of the ultimate draft kit, I cannot recommend. If you're going into a draft, whether it's redraft, auction, like I have an auction draft coming up this next weekend. And what I've already done, bets is I've taken the ultimate draft kit, I've taken the projections, and then I'm tailoring it to my league, which has keepers. And I haven't told you this, but I got to keep one player at a really cheap cost, and it's Chris Olave. And I feel... Freaking awesome going into my draft, uh, looking at so. What was draft the, prep uh, season? This is this you said auction, right? So what is the penalty for keeping Alave? So you basically take what he went for last year and you add ten dollars. So it's a two two hundred dollars. Oh, it, what if I told you I have him for twelve dollars total? Woo, baby! That we're I'm not a huge auction guy, but I know that is an absolute steal. Yeah, and we have tons of auction content. I'm editing articles right now that are going on the side about auction. So tons of that. You can get it in the Ultimate Draft Kit, Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. That includes the DFS Pass. I want, before we get into DFS goals and betting, I want to kind of 
not we're not wrapping up best ball season. It's not done yet. We go all the way through until September. But I think you and I have started to turn the corner about our late round strategy, and you're finding guys that people were drafting, I don't know, in May and June that now are just going completely undrafted, and they're just air balls, and they're going to be zeros probably in a lot of lineups. Let's talk about the general late round best ball strategy and how people need to think about their last two to three picks. Yeah, for sure. So this is something that, you know, is very intuitive and makes a ton of sense. And when I say this, you're not going to be like, wow, that's incredible content. But if you have players on your team who are giving you zeros at the end of the year, that's not good, right? <laughs> but what I want to speak to is is uh, Mike Leone from Establish the Runs Best Ball Manifesto. We've referenced that article, Absolute Beast, on their site. And basically, he found that if you have 14 plus, you know, this is underdog, 14 out of 18 guys that are still active, still giving you points late in the season in the fantasy playoffs, where these tournaments are so important for the money, that uh, is a kind of a cutoff where you have a positive EV on your team. Obviously, it's better to have 17 or 18, but having 9, 10 guys that are contributing to your roster is very unlikely to work out. And so my takeaway there is, like I said, kind of the obvious, but really leaning into that more this season than I have in the past. Whereas in past years, I have been wanting to find that guy, be the guy that has this yes. this gem that's like, oh, no one's going to draft this player. Like, what if he hits? I don't know, man. I'm a little bit uh, shook after last year where I was taking Will Fuller. I was taking Isaiah McKenzie. I was I thought Isaiah Spiller was Los Angeles' running back too. TDP for the San Francisco 49ers. Everyone was chasing him, right? So there are dead spots that are going to inherently happen on your roster. And when you draft early in the season, that's that's part of the risk, right? There's a huge advantage. You get huge ADP movement. We saw that with guys like Alexander Madison, Deontay Johnson, but there's also landmines, like you said. So this isn't to say that we should just you know take the same guy every single time in around 17 or 18, but I think it points to us being a little bit more critical about how you think about your late round targets. You know, like I said, I'm not really trying to hit hit the nuts and find the guy that no one else has. I'm trying to find guys with direct path to playing time who are unlikely to give you a zero. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in two months, three months, four months. I mean, that is so difficult to predict. So there are going to be injuries, you know, coaching and role changes for players, stuff like that. So I'm not saying that you should predict the future, but right now it's very easy to look at these round 17, 18, and some of the guys go undrafted and say, look, I get that it could happen for him, but the path is insanely thin. And so very, very likely that is a pick you're, you're wasting on fire. And from Leone's work, it's showing us that as a very bad strategy. Last year, I remember going into it and working, working backwards, which can be a difficult thing. It's kind of fun to like reverse engineer like, okay, so the year before Hunter Renfro was at the very single, you know, the very end or Cordero Patterson. And when you start to look at the data set of best ball over the years, you realize that those are just pure outliers as opposed to being able to create something that says this player will do what Hunter Renfro did, which is just insane. You can't predict injuries ahead of somebody or how they're going to be used. It is, it is quite difficult. And so I think a lot of times we talk about if, if you're in a 12-man league, you don't have to get as unique. And I think that's the advice I want to make sure I give people between a 12-man league or a big tournament like Best Ball Mania or uh, weekly winners. Your strategy should change based on what those last three picks are. Like in a 12-man league, I am not going off the board looking for players that, you know, like 
I, I have a couple charger stacks, and it's like I've thrown Josh Palmer, I've thrown Jalen Guyton on a weekly winners team, because maybe, just maybe at the very end, I want somebody that no one else has. There's no chance that I'm really taking those guys at all. I'm going to have a guy like Corey Davis who projects to have a ton of snaps. Devontae Parker was a player I took for a while there. It's like they're just going to be on the roster. And tight ends specifically are the type of players, if you're doing a three tight end build, I don't mind 17 and 18 end up being both tight end picks and and you could just finish out that way. But what what do you think is for you the difference between a 12-man, like a sit-and-go, and a big tournament? Yeah, I think there's... There's a couple differences, and, and the one that really sticks out to me, and this is true throughout my draft in these tournaments, is I'm leaning into correlation. So I'll use it as a tiebreaker for a late-round guy that I think both these guys have solid, projectable roles. Yeah, sure, I'll take the guy that's, that pairs well with my quarterback or my quarterback too, or I already have the running back on that team, so I might as well, you know, those sort of situations. And then, of course, in a tournament or GPP style, that Week 17 correlation that we know um, is important. The other thing that I think we should think about in these 12-man leagues is like these like unsexy picks that are just like going to be on the field and giving you snaps and giving you points are the better picks. Like I have a couple examples here on the dock. Like you mentioned Devontae Parker. Great example. No one's really that excited about Devontae Parker because he's Devontae Parker, <laughs> but there's a lot of negative news coming out about Tyquan Thornton, Kendrick Bourne's like iffy. They're even talking about Mike Kosicki not necessarily having that consistent role, but like in two wide receiver sets... I feel pretty confident it's going to be Juju and Devontae Parker right now. And look, I don't know how good he's going to be, but he's probably going to give you two or three weeks, right? And as a round 18 pick, around 17 pick, that's valuable. Other names that come to mind, it's not sexy. Robert Woods, he's probably going to be out there as a starting wide receiver for Houston. Uh, Chase Claypool will work into three wide receiver sets for Justin Fields and the Bears. Uh, Darius Slayton, sounds like he's going to be out there running as a perimeter guy with Isaiah Hodgins and then it looks like right now starting it'll be Paris Campbell in the slot we'll see how that goes on on the course of the year but Darius Slayton he's got a two-year deal they didn't give any other free agents that two-year deal and then the tight ends like you talked about you know Hayden Hurst Hunter Henry Trey McBride are they weak winning or like these huge ceiling plays no of course not but when you're talking about guys that just will not be giving you zeros you know in December like those are the starting tight ends on their team and it's really valuable. So I have found myself leaning into those sort of players, especially in these regular, you know, 12 man leagues. In best ball mania, the temptation is to find the backup running back with your last pick that you think, oh, no one else is going to have this. This guy's going to be James Conner, you know, like James Conner is a rookie where it's like, oh, well, he's the backup, but no one's really drafting him. Like just to give you some names last year of players going past pick 200 at running back. There were two guys that added more than 25 points to, your, to a roster. Dontrell Hilliard, who had a little bit of a run, you know, and, and caught some balls. And then Samaje Pirine, which is wild to think he was going that late, but there was some talk about Chris Evans. But, I mean, you just look at how many air balls there were and players that were drafted a ton. Like, Dernis Johnson was one that I fell for last year where I thought, okay, well, he flashed just a little bit and something happens to Nick Chubb. Like, he could, he could mix in there. That didn't work at all. At and that all. was the Kareem Hunt thing too, right? Remember you and Jason had the back and forth about whether or not he would be dealt or cut. And so everyone was like, yeah, dude, Kareem Hunt's going to be gone and it's going to be Dernis Johnson. It just shows you how little people know about what's going to happen in the NFL, right? I mean, it's craziness. Uh, Zach Moss, who, <laughs> if you know Jason, he is basically from day one said that Zach Moss is not even in the league to him. Like he's just, Zach Moss 
added a cool 1.4 points to best ball rosters last year. One point on the entire year, and yet he was drafted a ton. So I just I just keep that in mind with running backs, that if you're shooting for these guys, a lot of times, like in weekly winners, I will do that. Like I've taken guys like Malik Davis or Rico Dowdle for the Cowboys thinking maybe, just maybe with my last pick, they're the guy. Zeke could be added and that pick doesn't matter at all. But those are the kind of picks. So any thoughts on weekly winners, late round strategy, and how that's different than uh, 12-man or best ball mania? Yeah, before we get to that, I do want to point out one other running back that I just was like dumbfounded by the fact that this guy was drafted in a ton of leagues. I honestly had to do like a triple check. Like, is this accurate? Mike Davis was a Baltimore Raven in August last year. Remember they signed him as like a camp body and then, of course, the Dobbins... ACL recovery, the Gus Edwards ACL recovery. Mike Davis was drafted on a ton of teams. I mean, that is just crazy to think about. Isn't that insane? He was drafted, I'm looking at it right now, on nearly 30% of teams. That is wild. And he added, I'm looking at his points right now, he added 0.2 points to best ball rosters. So it it just shows you that there's, be mindful and understanding of what you're doing when you take one of these guys as the risky option that's all i'm saying but of course if you hit on that guy it's going to feel great and every now and then it will happen so just think critically about it but for weekly winners this is a completely different situation i think um and we got to give a shout out to hayden winks from underdog his stuff is always so good and he put out an article recently just diving into some of the data behind uh, weekly winners and sort of like you know here's the how the top one percent of teams finish because when you think about that weekly first place prize that's what you need. You need the absolute nuts to win a week in this contest. And so looking at it, the drop-off is insanely steep at wide receiver, right? These you know elite guys, Devonta Adams and Tyreek Hill, they start to separate so much more than this second tier. And that second tier separates so much more than the third tier. And by the time you get to this wide receiver five, six, seven range that you're drafting, you know, in like the 120s to like 150s in ADP, it just doesn't happen that much, especially in half PPR scoring where you need touchdowns. And so the data actually is showing these kind of later round running back targets are, are kind of viable, honestly. Um, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? Cause you wouldn't think about having them be good picks in a regular 12 man league or in best all mania. But in those formats, you don't need the 99th percentile outcome to happen for you in weekly winners. You do. And so you could fall into a random week where, you know, your stud wide receivers are producing, your RB1 that you drafted is producing, and then you have this kind of lower rostered late round running back target who actually does pop off for one massive week. And that's what this is about is one week. Remember, that's that's all that matters. So is, you know, Dante Foreman or Gus Edwards or Jeff Wilson going to be this incredible best all mania winning type of pick? I'm not sure. Probably not. But like in any given week, could those sort of archetypes give you 75 yards and two touchdowns? Of course, in the right game script, in the right situation, injuries happen, whatever. So those archetypes are ones I think are actually good later round picks for weekly winners. Whereas like a best ball mania, 12 man leagues, um, I'm not so sure. What are your thoughts on, on that? I've been thinking a lot about how I use my running backs because in underdog, we only have to start two and we're clearly wanting a wide receiver to hit the flex, right? Like, I'm just thinking about, I'm in a draft right now for weekly winners, and I'm looking at everybody's running back rosters, and I don't think you're going to have to hit the nuts at running back 
is is my point. You're going to need usable scores from you know multiple people, but like you're probably going to need the RB one. But I don't think it's always going to be you need the RB1 and the RB2 in scoring that week because they're probably not paired together on most teams. Like I'm looking at a team right now in a draft. They have Christian McCaffrey, who we would say, hey, that's insanely high floor every week. He can be the RB1 any single week. But then I look at the rest of the roster. It's like, okay, well, James Conner, Zach Charbonnet, Kenneth Gainwell, Devin Singletary. It's like some of those guys are not going to hit a ceiling. Like Kenneth Gainwell, I think, is a good play in best ball mania. I don't know if I love him in weekly winners because he's never really shown that he could be the only guy in a backfield where it seems like it could be a penny week, it could be a swift week, it could be two of them in a week and they get 12 points and 13 points and it's like the backfield was good, Jalen Hurts scores and you don't need that score. So weekly winners, I'm so excited to see how this actually plays out because you're going to have rosters that aren't going to have the RB1 and RB2 on a given week because the board didn't allow it. Like, let's say that the RB1 for week one is Christian McCaffrey and the RB2 is Bijan. Nobody's going to have those two on the same roster, right? Like, it's it's just not going to happen. So then the combinations look a little different. And I just think we need to kind of realize that there's going to be a lot more variance in just the how the board dictates it, right? In DFS, you and I are going to try to find the RB1 and RB2 for GPPs. Like, okay... You could make that happen because of salary. The draft board will not dictate it. So I'm looking at late round running backs who could hit in a given week and pair with somebody like a Christian McCaffrey. So we brought up before, like the Dolphins running backs are one of my favorites because it's an offense we want to buy into. Week one against the Chargers, it's going to be stupid fun. And then week 17 is against the Ravens. It's like those those combinations are already in my mind. And by week 17, I mean, any of those Dolphins running backs, could easily be the dude that week. Like Mostert, Jeff Wilson, A-Chain, Dalvin Cook. I don't know. Like, <laughs> So I like thinking about late round running backs, you know, 15, week, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18 in weekly winners as something that kind of boosts what people are probably not thinking about. Because I think you're going to have a week where Raheem Mostert is going to crack the uh, crack the optimal. Crack yeah, I think the that's optimal a- is what I said. <laughs> That's a perfect example, honestly. And then other names that I'm like, you know, even if the situation breaks right, it, if Brees Hall gets off to a very slow start and they don't sign Dalvin Cook or Zeke or whoever, um, is Michael Carter walking into 20 touches and the goal line role? Probably not, right? I mean, that that just seems so unlikely to happen in a half PPR format that he is the archetype you need. Or People are drafting Deuce Vaughn. Like, we talked about him on the Dynasty show. Like, is he walking into 18, 20 carries and a couple of targets? No, at that size, right? So, Tajay Spears, another guy that, like, I think he can give you usable weeks throughout the year. Uh, maybe, like, in, in a 12-man league, like, if, if Henry's nicked up for a couple of weeks or something, or they do want to use him in that Hilliard role, sure, he could have a couple of weeks where he's usable in best ball, but in weekly winners... I don't think he's ever giving you the score that you need. So I would just think critically about that archetype. Like you said, I could definitely see a scenario where it's like, man, Jeff Wilson's out. Uh, they only want to give Devon Achian eight, eight touches a week, 10 touches a week. Raheem Mostert might get 15 carries and the goal line roll, and he could fall in the end zone twice. Like, so you got to think about that critically. The archetype, I think, matters a ton. Gus Edwards is one of my favorite players to draft. You know, if it's an early season thing, whatever it is, like there's going to be a couple of weeks where Gus Edwards, I think, is the dude. It's kind of like with A.J. Dillon. He's another player that I've been drafting more in weekly winners 
because we've seen when he is just the dude, he can be the RB1 on a slate that's half PPR. So, man, it's weekly winners is going to be a fun process and a fun thing each week to play out. And I think there's going to be a lot of people like, oh, I almost hit it this week. It's like, yeah, well, there's 100,000 people, you know, trying to do the same thing. <laughs> there's 200,000 at right. least. And they, and they probably have 50% of your lineup too. Like, they, it's like, oh, I almost got it with Lamar. It's like, yeah, you and, you know, most of the field, 8% of the field or whatever has Lamar and they're already trying to do that. But imagine just, you can go there with me. Imagine having a weekly winner's lineup with Lamar not in it. Couldn't be me. I mean, if it's, if it's not Lamar though, let's be real. It's probably Herbert double stacks. I mean, if I was thinking about this, we were doing our quarterback ranking show on the main show. If, if Herbert and Lamar get injured, or are not good this year, you and I are buried. Just done. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> I, went to, I went to a dark place. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. That was a pretty good discussion on late round stuff. Like I would say, usually a quick question, just you know, for the podcasting world, is like, hey, let's do a warm up for people and get them excited and da da da. Like you and I just had a full conversation. We could like log out right now and just say that was the episode. Should we shut it down? I I, I think there's somebody there. That's mowing their lawn. They're like, no, I still have 30 minutes left. I, I, I need to finish this. <laughs> I got so. another acre left, man. I got to keep going. <laughs> All right. We'll keep going. Hello, everybody. I am back. I uh, found that in the archives for DFS season being back. I don't even know what that's from. I, I <laughs> Truthfully. I So Mike, you know, makes all the drops and... Jason does most of the voices. He didn't do that voice, obviously. And right. some of these drops are from 2016. So it's it's been a while. And I did a search online. I was like, I, I don't know. So if you do know, let us know uh, where that drops from. On this show, we're going to talk about our DFS goals and how you, for 2023, can be the best version of yourself. It feels like we're like pumping people up. Like you and I are like, you know, motivational speakers. But I don't, that's not really my style. I feel like sometimes I give like the, the counter case where I'm like, here's how we could go wrong. Here's what you're not thinking about. Here's why you're overconfident. So 
I I I want to just You're just a realist, man. That's all it is. I, it's funny because I am a realist in how I present things, but I'm also a contrarian in how I do. It's I'm a complicated person, people. Uh, back in April, if you want to go back, Bets and I did an episode about our DFS and betting things to remember, where I went back through that show doc bets just to remind myself of like what did I say, what lessons did I and. We encourage people at the time to write their own lessons down. So this would be the time to review those things, review that episode. It was April 7th. And we'll kind of hit a couple of those things. But, you know, one of the things we talked about is propping it even when you're not hot. And that was one of my big takeaways. And we've been still taking props in the DFS pass. We just took one on Geno Smith. But I feel like that's advice that we need to hear again. Yeah, and and if you missed it, I mean, you can go back and check that episode out for full detail. But basically, and this can be applied to anything, uh, is, you know, if you're, for betting props specifically, it was what this referred to, but even in DFS, if you have a couple weeks of a bad run out, you know, your results aren't there, you're you're losing, like, it doesn't necessarily mean that your process is bad. You can create awesome DFS lineups, correlation, stacking, you know, lower roster players and GPPs doing all the things you're supposed to do and you can still lose. And that's just the tough reality of the situation. Same thing in betting. You know, you take five, six props a week. You're only hitting on like two of them. It's like, man, this is a losing strategy. But when you dive into it, like were the plays that you made good? Did you get them at good odds? Did the market move in your favor? Those are all signs that you made the right bet. And even if they don't hit, you have to understand it's part of the process. But when you zoom out, like we're doing this for Gosh, if if you talk about the off season, we're doing this for an entire year, right? So like if I have a bad week seven, I know that like my process is good enough throughout the entire year that that's not going to crush me. That's not going to bury me. So if you stay with the process is kind of the take home. If you have the right process in place, you will be profitable over time. Of course, you need a long enough sample. It's not like in two weeks, like you can just all of a sudden turn it around and it's perfect. But over the course of an entire season, including the playoffs, you know, off season, you can get there if your process is right. I also want to just recommend everything over the last two, three months that we've talked about with best ball, you know, some of those tendencies, you know, player takes, all those things. We don't just delete them. And it's not like best ball is like just irrelevant to DFS. In fact, if anything, it gives us an ecosystem to work from, an environment to say, hey, this is what people have been talking about. This is, these are the players that are getting hot. And often, that spills over into week one. Like we, we talk about it all the time. If a player shows out in training camp in the first couple of weeks of preseason, it's it's the Marquez Callaway effect. They end up being pretty popular in week one, especially if they're cheap and because we already have pricing from DraftKings. So keep that in mind. We have some great shows coming up. We'll talk about cash game strategy, GPP strategy, contest selection, how to do roster percentages, showdown strategy, which, you know, we're getting you prepared for the first game. Detroit Lions, Kansas City Chiefs. You know, I've already taken the under. No big deal. Just going to blindly bet the unders on all 50-point games. We talked about that on the show. I think we have. Like, the trend in the last, what, year or two has been pretty obvious. Like, the unders are hitting at a way higher rate than they used to. Isn't that right? Yeah, and and you could do this if you want to, where games either, you know, start off on a Tuesday as like a, you know, 52-point game, and then sometimes if there's just hype, this is a dome game, they keep getting bet up. And so if I see a game get bet up, I will just blindly take the under. And last year and the year before, it was like a 60% under hit rate, which is pretty good in the betting world. So uh, we'll talk more about that. I think the 
another thing I just want to say is players will get steamed up. And right now you have a month where people will have so much group think I'm like, I could see, I could see, I don't know, uh, somebody on Twitter, uh, like, uh, at the fantasy PT say something like, imagine not playing Elijah Moore in week one. I mean, Hey, if he catches a touchdown in the preseason, I'll be fading him in week one. <laughs> That's for sure. He's going to be, I mean, if, if the ADP climb continues in best ball, the way it has the last month, he will be 30% in large field stuff, 40%. I don't know. He, he's just like the guy that sticks out like a sore thumb in pricing right now. 3,700, right? Uh, I think 38, but yeah. Who's who's counting, right? Like yeah, who's, who's, you know. Who memorizes week one? DFS <laughs> prices this early. Not me, obviously. So we're going to kind of work through a couple of big questions. And I think these are questions that we wrote down. You can write them down. You know, you could show them to a friend, post them on your fridge, you know, share them with your loved ones that that's what they want to hear. And then they'll check back at like, you know, Thanksgiving and just say, Hey, how you doing on that bankroll for, for that uh, DFS thing? You've been hanging out in the basement talking about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, one, of, one of my points that we'll get to later was just about accountability uh, with DFS. Like you need to be accountable to your process and other people. It's like, what if your family members are like, Hey, I didn't see you two X, you know, like you, what are you thinking playing that guy? <laughs> I just love it. That would be incredible if that actually happened to someone. <laughs> Grandma's like, what do you, th- you think he's going to three X on that salary? You sicko. <laughs> um, all right. So the first question I have is really simple. And a question we ask every single year, you have to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what are your goals with DFS? Because if you don't have something to shoot for, then every single week you're going to end up creating whatever narrative you want to say, this is what happened, here's why it happened, and then the next week you're just going to forget and you're going to look up 17, 18 weeks later and find out, hey, you lost a lot of money and you ended up depositing like five more times. We don't want you to do that. So we often say that your goals are different depending on how much money you're putting in, what season, and it's totally fine for any single person. You know, I, I see people sometimes post and they're like, oh, I want a couple dollars here. And some people are like, oh, that's that's stupid. It's like, hey, if somebody's enjoying this game and they're only winning a couple dollars, that's awesome. I don't really care what your payout is. In fact, if you're only ever posting screenshots of your winnings, you're probably not posting screenshots of the, all the times you lost too. Okay, so keep that in mind. Um, I think the easiest goal I could give to anybody, and Bets and I will kind of share our personal ones, is if you're profitable at the end of the year in terms of cash games. Some people think cash games are out of style. You want to explain like why that's just not true for us and why we think cash games still matter? I mean, Kyle's obviously super duper cool. So if he's doing it, you should be doing it too. That's the real reason. Um, No, but in all honesty, I think it's a good starting point for a lot of people if you're new to it, but also if you've been doing it for a while. Like I still play a ton of cash and for me it works and I think it's going to work for a lot of people because I think we have a good handle on and I don't want to say this this word kind of is is tricky because in you know DFS and whatever it's not always correct but the right plays right so to speak for example like Elijah Moore we keep talking about him he's cheap he's gonna project well as long as he's healthy and there's no changes and stuff like that he's probably gonna be a very good cash play or running backs that are projected to get 18, 20 touches, you know, the the Vegas line is in their favor. 
Uh, they've got a high team total. They check the boxes. Like they're a good play, but at the same time, like you have to understand things can go wrong. So if you understand that you're putting in the right plays, if you have guys that project well, great median outcome, stuff like that, then they are probably the right plays. And I think that's very easy to identify and do that on a very consistent week in and week out basis. Is it always going to work? Of course not. But again, over a long sample size, it will work. And we're going to let our opponents, people playing in these 50-50s, people that scoop your head-to-heads, make mistakes. I I mean, man, I can't even tell you how many times I log in and like I'm just scrolling through on like, you know, the afternoon slate and I'm like, man, this guy really played a head-to-head with fill in the blank. It's like a a third string wide receiver who like might see three targets. Like that is just so incorrect from a cash standpoint. In a GPP, I understand. In a cash standpoint, it's just incorrect and, and people will do that. There's enough people making mistakes that if you have the sound process, and I think this show and the DFS pass will set you up for success, that you will have a good a good season in cash if your contest selection is right and if your process is right. Yes. Profitability should be anybody's goal if they're playing DFS. Like I don't think anyone says I want to go into this and lose money over the course of the year. And we think that it is possible for you to have a process that is sound, that will work, and over the course of the year, you will make money. But also, I, I, I think I just want people to have a really high floor with DFS. It's like people think of the boomer bust nature of tournaments, and that's what's on commercials and stuff, but you can have a super high floor as a cash game player and then have fun playing GPPs, sweat it out in some of our tournaments in our DraftKings League, uh, showdown stuff. Like Those are super fun. I'm just not always depending on that. And the best players in the world understand that they may have two weeks, one or two weeks in the season, and that's it for GPPs. Like they're, they're not trying to every single week they're going to hit it. So we think you can have a high floor, and for cash games, we'll talk more next week about the strategy behind that. We're usually mentioning 50-50s or double-ups, and on DraftKings, those are open right now. I've already built you know just a mock cash lineup for week one just to get you in those so reps, sick. you know, preseason reps, man. <laughs> one more thing with, with cash you just mentioned the floor like just to kind of speak to it for people it helps i think uh insulate your bankroll so like you're saying if you're a strong gpp player like that's great but even the best gpp players in the world lose like there are weeks where i return 0.00 dollars <laughs> in tournaments and that will happen there's just off the nature of the slate and the guys you pick and, and whatever but like if you play cash on top of that you know, you can still profit on the week and it helps you absorb those losses better, which I think is what you're speaking to. So I do agree that that floor aspect of GPPs or of, of DFS, excuse me, is one thing that like no one talks about, but I feel like is very important for your bankroll. And Betts and I in the DFS pass give you our cash picks on FanDuel and DraftKings. And then on Saturday, we really put ourselves together and, and Betts and I say, these are our best plays for DFS. So we go through each position, we rank them, And we think that that is probably one of the best tools that you can get. It's hard for us to say with confidence on a Wednesday, these are the players. But as we get more information, we kind of lock that in on Saturday and then Sunday before. So you get that in the DFS pass if you you want that. And I'll just also say some of the players that you and I respect the most in this industry and that play the longest, like are still cash game players. So Adam Levitan with Establish the Run is somebody that every single week he posts, this is my cash lineup. Here's what I went wrong, right? Like I do the same thing. I post, here are my percentages. I would say if there's 18 weeks, let's say you you play 18, we're not even counting the playoffs. I bet if you look at the DFS pass, for I bet most people will be able to get 10 weeks out of the year where they cash in that lineup. I think people can do better. Last year, I think you ran 
a little bit hotter than I did in terms of cash. But man, if you if you cash 10 out of 18 weeks, one, it's super fun with the process. Yeah, I, I love doing that with Jason this past year. Jason and I would kind of tinker our cash game lineups. And if you looked at the fantasy face-offs that we did on the main show, Jason won the majority of the time, had the highest floor, and Andy might have lost the most. But it's more of, can you, over the course of the season, hit 10 to 12 weeks where you cash? Do you think that's possible for people? Yeah, I think that's a very realistic goal. And thinking about it from like a betting perspective, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you need to be winning 55 to 60% of the time to be profitable and be a very good, you know, uh, smart sports better. Well, 10 out of 18, 55%, like that's a, that's a good goal to shoot for. So I think somewhere in that range is both realistic and a good goal for the 2023 season and, and one that I'll probably stick to hopefully try to hit and maybe a couple more, but that's a, a good season, I think. I think that's part of our company's policy. Absolutely. It's a good rule of thumb. You know, 56, that's really good. Really good. But 55 sounds even better. I'll just give my personal goal for this year, and it's real simple. I want to focus in on more single-entry tournaments, and I think that there can be an edge there when we talk about GPPs, when we talk about in a turning mindset. I think that that's where I can kind of look at the field and say, hey, this is what they're doing. And I'm going to focus on what I think is the best plays for this game, have a high floor and some weeks be able to hit those. So me personally, I will be in more single entry tournaments because I think that there's a better payout for my skill set. Like it coming over to uh, my side. Yes. Here, Kyle. Um, yes. I, I play a ton of smaller field, single entry stuff, which I've had more success in personally than these large field things. So I'll probably stick with them. Uh, I I love the large field lotto stuff. It's fun to fire a few of those and just hope for the best. But truthfully, like I don't know what it is about the way I build lineups or the way that I enter a slate. Like it's just I just haven't been profitable. And I'm not sure if it's a results thing or a process thing. But I mean the number the numbers will tell you that's where I should not be playing. And so I'm with you. I'll be I'll be in the cash streets in these uh, smaller field tournaments. So the next question we have is: Is there an edge in DFS? Because I think a lot of people go into this already worked up and worried because one, they don't have as big a bankroll as other people. And and really, I think most people don't know how much money people put in. Like you and I don't post, like here's how much money um, we might post, you know, if, if like, hey, here's something I won. But like, we're not really privy to the information of here's how much this person has in their bankroll unless they're a big time player. And I think a lot of people already feel like they're behind the eight ball. It's like, oh, I can only put in 50 bucks. Or they chalk it up and say, well, you know, the DFS pros, they're just in there and they're going to bully me. And so I don't think there's really, you know, any edge to doing that or this is just all luck. Whatever it is, I would say in doing this for my job and you and I getting to talk about this for four or five years, however long we've been doing this on this podcast, there are edges. And I would say we do a lot of that for people, you know, like the research that we put in, yes, it's for our own good, but Bets and I kind of both have a teaching background, like we're trying to teach people how to fish. So we can look at every single matchup for you. And that's the first thing you and I do each week. It's the first article Bets puts out. And my pace of play article is something where you and I look at the most important games of the week and just say, how could this game go off? Here's some combinations for you. So instead of just first looking at, you know, a DraftKings lobby, get in there and go, here's all the prices. I would say that matchup based stuff, play calling tendencies, pace is something that people can still have an edge with. Yeah, for sure. And 
I think pace is starting to become a little more popular just in the fantasy space. Um, but it is, you know, still an edge and I don't think there's enough people. Like there are people that, you know, will play and they'll they don't have time in the week and they'll get to Saturday or Sunday and they're like, All right, let me just sit down, let me log in here, see what's going on. Oh, cool, yeah, I like this price, I like that player, like let's let's plug them in. And before you know it, they're like building a lineup and it's like, Well, have you considered uh how many plays this team's gonna run or how often they pass versus how often they run? You know, stuff like that. The Vegas line, like there are nuances to why certain guys project well, and there's nuances to why certain games project well and, and why they might project poorly. So I think that, you know, that play calling, the pace, stuff like that, like you mentioned, um, you don't have to be an expert in it, but you do have to have a very good understanding and uh, apply it, you know, critically when you're, when you're setting your lineup. I think a lot of people think that the edge is going on a wild goose chase of finding the lowest rostered player. And that's fun. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there are some fun times I've had in DFS where you've had somebody at 1% and you're like, oh my gosh, no one else has this person. I hope they go off. Uh, you know, I've my favorite memory on this podcast was the Chase Claypool point four percent getting four touchdowns, and people actually played him, and it felt like a dart throw. But I just want to say, there there's a reason those are called a dart throw is because they are so hard to identify, and you know, what would you say like ninety percent of the time they're just not going to work out? Oh, I'd say like ninety eight percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's really tough. So instead of trying to find that and think that you're the only person that can find this, we find that matchups, pace, and cash can give you an edge. It still is an edge. And then if I were to give one type of quick GPP thought of, of edge, it's just understanding what leverage is. And we give you that with our roster percentages. I think the field's really good at this now that with 90 to 95% accurate accuracy, we're going to be pretty clear on who the most popular plays are on the week. And that's fine. Like, I don't think you have to go into this and saying, oh, this person's popular, therefore I need to fade them. It's like, it's not as simple as A to B. Maybe, maybe that week, the field is so onto a certain player because they're good. Like the player's good and they project well and they make sense and they're chalk and they're actually still good. Like that's, I don't think chalk is needs to be bad, you know, a bad word for people. Like, oh, he's going to be chalk. We don't need to play him. Like, Christian McCaffrey's good. You can play Christian McCaffrey and be fine with it. Um, I think my biggest edge, if I were to give people, is I think I'm pretty good at cutting out the noise, and maybe that's my contrarian personality, that for a part of the week, I'm just off Twitter. I'm off X. You know, I don't have TikTok. I don't have Instagram. That's just That's just my personality. And so I'd rather do the research myself, have some conviction, talk with bets, do a show, and then come out of that rather than I just absorbed so many posts or tweets, whatever we're calling them. And I have so much information that I'm going in a hundred directions that the next tweet I see ends up changing my whole opinion. So I would say that's my edge is cutting out the noise. What's interesting about when you brought that up is like, I feel like I have the exact opposite edge, but in a, in a good way sort of thing. Like I feel like I, I have the ability to like, you know, check out what's going on see what people are talking about and then be like, yeah, I don't know if I buy that or, or like that, you know, so-and-so reported this. There's another beat reporter who's like, you know, like last year, I know a good example, um, Miles Sanders, remember that, uh, saints game for the Eagles. He was projecting as a good play. He, uh, was actually gonna be very popular. And then all of a sudden, like we kind of got some news like on a Friday, then on Sunday morning, it's like, he's wearing a brace on his knee. You know, so-and-so was talking about like, they're going to lower his workload. If you're just off the grid, like you're missing that. 
And so part of the value of kind of being logged on or being able to kind of find those little pieces of information helps you identify. And then I think he went like, you know, 50 yards or something and like no score ended up being a good fade. But without that information, I probably would have played him truthfully. So I think that's where my edge is like finding those little things and being like, okay, this matters. I'm not sure about that. Yes, that that probably means we're a good team because you can aggregate information. And then obviously with injury stuff, I'm just going to trust your opinion and you know, we're all going to get stuff wrong or, Hey, they, they said that this guy was going to be limited, but the game script said that they needed him or whatever it was. It's like, things are going to change, but I'm usually going to lean into Betts's, you know, injury analysis about a player. And you know, if a, if a certain guy isn't going to get enough snaps, whatever it is, I'm just going to lean into that. So find what your edge is, uh, share what that is, whatever it is. And also realize that you're going to probably over time still have to sharpen whatever you think your edge is with that. Let's talk about the process because we have an article series that will be coming out for DFS over the next month that's explaining the DFS process. And like I'll have an article coming out that just says, here's a weekly strategy and a schedule for somebody who wants to play DFS. You know, like on a Tuesday, here's how you could spend your time. And what I'm going to try to do this year is update it and say, you know, like if you only have an hour on a Tuesday, here's what you could do as opposed to, Hey, you need 30 hours this week. Like our jobs is to make sure that you can do your job and still be good at DFS. Have you thought about that? Like we're technically allowing people to make money at their regular job and then make more money at their hobby. And I think by default we should get 10%. That seems pretty fair, right? Yeah. We've seen some people that said like, Hey, you know, I'm going to win the best ball mania. And, And I feel like you and I have been pretty clear. Like there's something in the contract of this podcast that says you have to give us a cut. <laughs> the second you hit play on this podcast, you owe us 10% of your winnings. <laughs> At least give bets a Sebring or something. Oh, come on, man. They're great. <laughs> I love that Michael. Like, that's what he wants. Michael Michael Scott just wants a, <laughs> he wants a Sebring. Like, Michael, we don't even make those anymore. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, nothing like, I mean, you're a Pennsylvania guy. That's That's a perfect convertible place, right? Oh, yeah, this is exactly where you want to have your convertible. <laughs> so we'll have an article coming out about process and the way to do your week. Also, I'll explain how I compile my player pools. Uh, you know, how do you go from here's a giant, you know, listing of all the salaries to players? I'll give another article talking about our new optimizer, which when we get to our GPP show, that's going to be really fun. We have a tutorial video coming out that has chapters that you can go, hey, I already know how to do that. You can skip forward to game stacks or whatever else. Roster percentages, contest selection, all those things. We will talk about the process, but you got to have a actual approach as opposed to just, I'm just going to take the shotgun approach of just podcasts. I'm going to listen to 20 podcasts. I'm going to read 20 articles and I'm going to get on Twitter for three hours. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to have a lot of overlap and you're going to, you're just going to be blitzed out of your mind with too much stuff. So what would you say is part of your process that you found helpful over the years? Maybe where you started wrong at the beginning and how you've kind of sharpened that. Yeah, I think, and and part of this is just being lucky to do this, you know, as our job. And so I have certain pieces of content that come out each day of the week. And for me, that feels like a very natural, like building block to, if you're playing the showdown slate on Thursday, or if you're playing the main slate on Sundays, you know, it helps me kind of build throughout the week. Whereas before my biggest weakness, I think was like 
I didn't really have a sound process. I would just kind of get to like Saturdays and, and Sunday mornings and be like, all right, let's see what's going on. Let's check these Vegas lines. Like, yep, that looks like a good game. Sure. Let's, let's fire away here. But like understanding kind of why guys project well or understanding what games might have more downside than the market realizes or things like that, that we get to do throughout the week, whether it's, you know, uh, the pace of play article, whether it's the like matchups that we analyze on the main show, stuff like that, man. I mean, that is, is so important to have a process throughout the week that if you just like wait till Friday or Saturday and you're like, all right, I'll just hope that good things happen. It probably isn't going to happen. You need to have, you know, the ability to kind of get information and understand where the information is coming from throughout the week versus just compiling it all on Saturday and being like, all right, here we go. Yeah. The, pace of play article I read on Wednesday is maybe my favorite part, not only in prepping for the show, but it's just like, okay, what are the most valuable games? What are the most valuable in terms of, and I I come up with this GPS, I call it like game pace score. And I kind of just quickly say like, okay, based on pace, based on the team implied totals, and based on historically what's happened with this, here's the games that seem like they're the best ones to bet on. And some of those are obvious. But there are games that have 50-point total, and you look at these two teams, you go, there are lots of paths to downside. And so keep that in mind if you're building tournaments. Like, here's how this game goes south. And you saw that with the Eagles, right? Last year, it was like, oh, you could get an Eagles stack. And then you're like, okay, well, who can I bring it back with? And at the end of the day, it was like, there were a lot of those games where you, in the first half, may have needed A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts, and then there was nobody on the other side that you needed because that game just went south. So keep that in mind. Just there's, there's multiple paths for a game. I'll also add that for a process for people, one of the worst things, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, one of the worst things for people in the process is if you have early success. If you have an early success in DFS, it is a double-edged sword because one, yes, it was fun. You did you did really well. But then you think this is easy. I don't have to put in the time. I just click some names. And I've said before, I won a tournament, maybe my first or second year. And I just thought this this is easy. I, you know what? I'm going to be able to quit my job. I'm going to be able to tell <laughs> Emma, like, we don't have to do anything anymore. And for some people, it works out that way, but it, for others, it didn't. And I was doing some reading, and, and you can you just hold back your laughter, bets, because I was reading a research paper from Berkeley from E.L. Reed on the psychology of the near miss. Have you read that? You know, no? You know, I can't say I have, <laughs> if I'm being I'll, honest. I'll send it out to you, PDF form, right after this. But it, it was great in terms of how we as people, when we are playing games, when we almost win, it gives us feedback to think, oh my gosh, I could do this again. It's almost, I mean, it's the same thing with like a fallacy of just gambling in general. It's like, I was so close, I'm going to hit again and hit again, hit again. It's the same thing with like, if you had a lottery ticket and you were off by one number, you would think, oh my gosh, I was so close. But one, it doesn't take into account that other people might be off by one number right? Like if they're off by one number, they have the same exact thing as you. And it, it doesn't take into account that there are so many variations and you actually have the same chance as somebody else. If you only bought one ticket, right? Like, and you were off too. near misses in his, in his research article, it gives us useful feedback and it encourages the player that success can be within reach. If you don't have a process though, you are going to always come back to thinking that you almost made it. And so that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, I could have, should have, would have done this. Like, I, if I just would have had this player, it's like, you didn't. You didn't play this player. I didn't play this player. And there's no going back on it. So maybe that's a bit harsh, but like, 
That is one of the things I think I've said every single year on this podcast. I think it's super important, honestly. So I'm glad that we keep bringing it up because like you said, it's common that people get in that mindset and they think that way. And I mean, let's be honest, we probably have all been there. I've been there for sure. So yeah, it is uh, very important. And like you said, you can't just assume because you were close, like it's going to happen. So you do need to have that process in place. Um, I, unlike Kyle, do hope people have success in week one. Okay, <laughs> okay, Kyle, <laughs> for this show, for the DFS pass, I'm nice. I hope you guys have success. Yes, and there's tools out there like Roto Tracker where you can actually manage your bankroll. It actually shows you, hey, you're actually really bad at this contest. You keep entering it. And based on that, like I, I that's part of the things that I found out is I'm better at single entry sometimes. I should probably lean into that a little bit more. I still like GPPs. Like I still will enter week one, the Millie Maker, because it's five bucks and I'll do it. And I understand that it's not a great move in terms of EV, but you can actually see and, ha- and have accountability in your process. So for Bets and I, we usually talk about our cash game lineups. I write an article and then I get to see my bankroll and see, am I good or am I bad at this? So you need some feedback that tells you and some accountability that says, hey, in your process, this ain't great, Bob. Uh, you need to be a little different, which leads to my next question. Can you identify weaknesses in your game? Because every single person and their mama, especially if their mama's playing DFS, you know, they, they, there's weaknesses in their game. Like there's, there's things that you're just not good at, that you have bias about certain players. I may have not had the best things to say about the Lions. That's fine. I understand that bias. I will still be playing Lions in DFS I have a lot of Jameer Gibbs and best ball and David Montgomery, but we have weaknesses. So do you want to speak to that point about weaknesses in your game bets? Cause that there's a lot. Yeah. I mean that it's, it seriously is like the most important thing that to understand if you are going to take this seriously. And if you're new, like failure to recognize that is, is massive. And if you're like, Oh, I'm good at this. I've done this. I've won my home league eight out of the last 10 years and whatever and you're just going to start blindly firing into contests like you're probably going to be losing and you need to understand that everyone has a weakness and not just stop there it's like okay well what do i do about that right i've talked a lot about this i'm not the best large field player and for years i just kept being like this year i'll be better next week i'll be better the week after that oh, i was so close like i'll be better and at some point i was like you know what like i'm i'm crushing it in cash every now and then i take home a small field like that's probably the better spot for me right now to be in. doesn't mean I'll never play large field, but understanding that that's where most of my action is going to come from is important. I think other examples I could think of, you know, is like bankroll management. Everyone uh, has a certain amount that they want to start with. Everyone has a certain amount they want to play with each week, but people aren't able to control themselves and they'll chase their losses. They don't allocate the right percentage each week. You know, it's it's difficult, but I think some more serious players can probably say, you know, look, I, I have a huge edge in week seven. I don't know what that edge is, but like someone could be like, that's that's an edge I feel really good about. I'm going to fire more money this week. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel great about this slate. Like I'm going to I'm going to back off. That's tough for a lot of people to do. And the other thing that I think is is tricky is like sometimes we have this idea like I'm going to miss out on DFS like I got to play. Well, it's like, well, man, I got a wedding this weekend that I'm going to. I'm traveling eight hours. Like, I'm not coming back till Sunday afternoon. Like, do I really want to be stressing about that on Saturday night when I should be having fun? And if that's what you want to do, like, that is totally cool. But that's not for everyone. And so I think it's okay to recognize, like, life gets in the way sometimes. 
and you may feel better about it come Monday, Tuesday, if you took that slate off for whatever reason, than being like, well, I got to play. Uh, dang it, I just lost 10% of my bankroll because I felt like I had to get a lineup in. You know, if, if you don't have the mind space or the time to commit to it, I think that's one weakness that a lot of people have that probably in the long run is a very good strategy to understand when you can commit, you know, fire away as you usually do. When you can't, it's all right to back off. Yeah, we post our, I, I do it every single week when I write my cash review article, I post my percentages and people always ask like, oh, how much you do this week? Well, I'm like, well, it depends on where I'm at in the week. Like I will play cash every single week, no matter what. But there are some weeks where one, I don't feel as good about the slate. Two, I had something else where I posted my cash lineup bets and I talked through, I talked on the show, but my weekend was just not not there. Like I have a I have a week coming up where we do a family vacation. We go to the beach every year in October. I will not be playing a lot of DFS that week. And that's okay. Like it's it's okay if if life does that. It's also okay if you identify on the slate like, man, there are so many plays and I could see five games being important and and I don't feel as comfortable. There are certain showdown ones where I go all in and I'm like, "Oh, I love this game. I'm going to be watching this game, you know, with some friends and there are certain showdown. Now, Betts plays even more showdown than I, but there are certain ones where you get a better feel of what's going on and, you know, of like, hey, this the field is really onto this. I feel like I can have some leverage. So keep that in mind. I would say my weakness in the past is because I'm contrarian, it can get me into certain mindsets of saying, well, people are going to do this, therefore I'm going to do this other way. And that's just... <laughs> That's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes it helps me identify things that no one else is seeing. Other times, it's just a good play. I just need to play them instead of just trying to be contrarian. Like you don't always have to be that way. It's not just a A uh, equals B kind of thing. So I would say that's my weakness. And you, dude, call out any weakness you see in me sometimes. Because we don't have would, enough time for that on this show. Because <laughs> I would say yours is sometimes there's blind spots of I haven't seen this player do it before. And therefore, like, you know, we, we, you've used the example before of Russ and Jerry Judy last year. Where I was like, I'm telling you, Russ is a good play. And you're like, dude, have you seen Russ this year? And 15 out of 18 weeks, you would have been right. But not against the Chiefs. Not that one week. Yeah, no, that that is for sure. I think I definitely have those biases that come up throughout the year. I mean, we all do, but I think I lean into them a little bit too much. And there was one I remember, I think it was two seasons ago with uh, Leonard Fournette was projecting awesome i think it was against the falcons actually if not if i'm not mistaken and this was you know not last year where the team really fell off the tracks it was like when the bucks were hot and tom brady was passing so much and he was getting all the work but like len had had like three or four weeks of just inefficiency and i think the line was struggling a little bit but they were getting healthier and he projected so well and i was like man i i can't do it i can't go there i know this i know he projects well i know he's only you know 5800 or whatever it was but like, I still was like, I'm not doing it. And that is just so silly, right? To like not be able to remove your biases. So that for me, I for sure need to address that and, and kind of work on it um, sometimes. But man, me and Len, we've, we've gone back and forth, brother. You guys have a complicated history. Like, you know, back in the day, <laughs> if you guys were in a relationship on Facebook, you would say it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> yes. So, so far, we'll wrap up this show. We've talked about what are your goals, identifying that, just writing them down. You know, if, if it's something as simple as I want to be profitable. Okay. That's a good goal. Let's go a little bit further. Um, we've talked about where the edges in DFS and how bets and I get to do a lot of the research for you. So instead of you spending 20 hours, it's like, Hey, all the matchups are there for you. 
and we get to talk about the tendencies and, you know, here's the ones we will attack. You know, we get to aggregate all of that for you and cut out a bunch of noise. Talk about a process and we have a whole article series talking about DFS process, identifying your weaknesses. But if we had to finish this on one thing, it's a simple question. Do you have a sparring partner? Do you have somebody else to go back and forth with? Yes, mine gets to be Matthew. We get to go back and forth all the time. Disagree, agree, whatever it is. But I would say social media is probably not the best person to be your your uh, accountability partner and to go back and forth with and just because you're going to get so many opinions on things. You can aggregate that information, but I just find that Twitter, TikTok, you know, Instagram is probably not the best place to find somebody else. If you really want to find that, I would say the Discord channel is the place. It is. Great people in there. We're hopping in there every now and then whenever we have time to as well, but it really is so refreshing because, you know, there's times, especially like right now in best ball and in the props channel and stuff, I'll log in and like someone will ask a question and I'll, I'll remind myself like, oh, I want to go back and help that person, but I'm in the middle of doing something or I, I can't get to it right away. And then I'll log in like a half hour later and there's like 14 responses. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is what this is all about. And it's great to, to have people be able to recognize those blind spots for you. You know, you do that for me sometimes and people can do that for sure in the discord. But yeah, discord has been awesome, man. I was I'm not going to lie. When we started to really like get a lot of people in there, I was kind of hesitant because sometimes it doesn't work out and it's like, oh, this, the vibe isn't good, but like, man, it has been nothing but awesomeness in there. So I love our, our, I love our discord channels. You've been vibing is what I'm hearing. Oh, for sure. Is that what the kids say these days? They are, they are vibing a little too much if I'm honest. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would say, so personally when people ask stuff in discord, they're like, is this lineup good? I usually have a hard time responding to that because I'm always going to say in DFS, like, I mean, it could, like it could totally work out, but you will find people that basically say, Hey, have you thought about this with your salary? Like instead of, you know, a lot of times people will kind of give us a very binary question. Like, should I swap this player and this player for this player and this player? It's like, ah, but there's so many combinations of how you could do things. We have really great people in discord. We have some new people in the DFS pass this year, which I'm just teasing right now, that are going to get to also hop in there, give some uh, thoughts, including, this is another tease, man. Gosh, man, can't can't help myself. Uh, <laughs> someone that's going to be writing an article this year on tournament takes who is a former Millie Maker winner. So how about that? I think multiple times, right? Multiple I, Millies? I know, he's, I know for football, he's won it once. I know for baseball, he's done a lot too. So we're going to have some different names and different people. We're going to get added in there, some different tools. Uh, and I can't wait for people to use our optimizer. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be beans, man. It's going to be beans just to kind of bring this full circle. That's a, it's a pro podcaster thing. Bets sign us off. Dude, I am officially excited for DFS season. We still got to wait four more weeks though. Come on. No, man, this is fun. I love these kind of higher level discussions. They were great. It kicks off our prep for DFS season. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen. We're back next week with another DFS strategy show. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.